I usually have a really uh, long introduction, but I don't today. In fact, it's one sentence. First time in 15 years. It's a miracle from God. That doesn't mean the sermon, sermon's shorter. I just got more to say. So I just wanted to jump right into what I wanted to talk about. Um, when you look at the, the closing uh, instructions here from Paul, uh, they have to be seen within light of the context. And so the context, if you have been here, uh, in chapter 4, Paul has been talking about eschatology, which is the study of the end times. Uh, and so in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, he talked about the rapture of the church, where the Lord will snatch the church uh, out of uh, this place before he brings his wrath and uh, judgment against the, the godless. Um, and in light of that, that leads to a question. Uh, and, and when we spent two weeks, uh, as we looked at the, the rapture of the church, we also studied the judgment seat of Christ. That when the church is raptured uh, and God brings his wrath against the world before he brings the king back, Jesus, uh, he, he tests his church and he rewards you at his judgment seat. Not, not for heaven, because you're going to go to heaven. If he, re he rewards you for how well you ran the race, the spiritual race, uh, for how much you matured. Uh, and so in light of the fact that the Lord is going to rapture us imminently at any moment, that's highly motivational. I don't know if you think it's motivational. I do. Because uh, if the trumpet's going to sound uh, and he's going to appear, in fact, my house is right behind Lake Braddock High School. And the first year I lived here, I was out back doing some gardening. I didn't know the band practiced out there. <laughs> I thought it was the rapture of the church when it was just Lake Braddock High School. So... You know, I'm, I'm out there hoeing or whatever, like, da 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 and I'm like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> but anyway, back to my sermon. So in light of the fact that the Lord can appear at any moment, it leads to a logical question. Here is the hermeneutic question. Uh, in light of that appearance of the Christ, uh, how should you live? How should you then live in light of that appearance? Because it should radically change your entire life. And so we want to talk about that. Uh, your duty as a Christian is listed in these verses. Uh, Paul is going to move in verses 12 to 13 from uh, exhortations that are not imperatives in the Greek text uh, to flat-out imperatives, uh, starting in verse 13, the last clause is an imperative clause, and then the rest of it is imperatives. Um, he's telling you, this is how you should live in light of the fact that the Lord is coming. Are you going to be ready? I'm trying hard to be ready. I hope that you are trying hard to be ready. Um, so how should you live? So he's going to first talk about, this thing is divided into three quadrants. Uh, uh, number one, he's going to talk about your duty toward your leaders, your leadership, verses 12 to 13. Uh, that's as far as we're going to get today, verses 12 to 13. Then he's going to talk about verses 14 to 15, about your duty toward followers, like other Christians. Uh, and then in verses 16 to 22, he's going to talk about your duty toward the Lord. So it's going to take us at least three weeks to get through the closing chapters. You following me? So let's, let's get on with it. Uh, what he talks about here first is your duty toward your leaders, your leadership. Uh, so while Paul was ministering in Greece, uh, he dispatched, as we know, Timothy to go check out the church in Thessalonica that he had led them to Christ. Then they ran him out of town, persecuting him. And so he has this brand new church with brand new leadership that he's chosen. Uh, and, and imagine you've led all these non-Christian pagans that are worshiping all kinds of gods uh, to the Lord Jesus. Uh, and you've got to pick leadership for the church. Uh, Yehuda, how about you? You know, <laughs> you know, and you're going around picking guys that you think have the characteristics. And that's what happened there. They formulated this church. And so Timothy comes back, if you remember 1 Thessalonians 3.10, and he gives a report to Paul to say, this is how the church is doing that you planted. Uh, and as you might expect, the church had strengths and it had weaknesses. Every church has strengths and weaknesses. Our church is no exception. If you think our church has 
only strengths, then, well, you must think again. And if you think we only have weaknesses, we need to talk. Uh, because there's many strengths. And so Paul is looking at those two things. And as a pastor, he wants the church to move from weaknesses to strengths. Or from immaturity to maturity. That's what any pastor would want. So that's what he's going to do. And so he's going to talk to them uh, in this chapter, the first two verses, when he says, in light of the Lord's coming, how should you live? It's very educational that he says, first and foremost, it matters greatly how you treat your leadership at your church. We'll put it this way. The church can be no greater in its societal impact than how the believers, the followers, treat the leadership of the church. And this is interesting because there's other passages where he tells the leaders how to treat the followers. Um, so this isn't, and this was not by my design. If you take issue with this, take it up with Jesus. This is how it is. And so he says, if you want to have a really great growing church that has societal impact, you have to have one where there's a symbiotic great relationship between the ordinary uh, worshiper that's in the church and serving and the leaders ab- above them. We're going to talk about which leaders he's talking about as we get into this. Um, so the stronger the bond between leaders and saints in the church, the greater the church. The flip side of that equation is true too. The weaker that relationship, well, the weaker the church is. Uh, and so what does he say? Verse 12, he says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. So we want to understand his uh, tone here. Uh, his tone is... Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, uh, not loving and loving, this is totally loving. Because he's calling these Christians what? Brethren. Brothers and sisters. That's what he's calling them. He's calling them he's brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, if you want to have a great church and a healthy church, uh, number one, you need to appreciate those who diligently labor among you. And so he's talking in a, in a, uh, you know, as, a, as a pastor, as an elder of churches, he's talking to these people to tell them, man, you need to really nail how you, how you respond to the leadership of your church. Um, and so think about what he's going to say here. So which leaders exactly is he talking about? So we have around 3,000 people in our church. We have a lot of leaders. I mean, there are leaders beyond leaders here. And, and so you have uh, the elder council or the spiritual leaders of the church. We also have deacons and deaconesses down through the church that do practical ministry. Then we have other pastors. Then we have uh, uh, people that serve underneath the pastors in various structures. Uh, you have uh, children's ministry with a whole team and there's a, there's a worship team and there's just leaders all over the place. So which leaders is he talking about here? Uh, he's talking specifically about elders, the spiritual leaders of the church. Uh, how do I know that? Um, well, because in 1 Timothy 3, 4, he uses, which is 1 Timothy 3, is the description of elders in the church, the spiritual leaders. Now, just because it says elder doesn't mean the person's old. I'm not old. And so, why are you laughing? So, yeah, he doesn't even know. Yeah, when my daughter was cutting my hair this week, I told her, honey, could you just trim off the gray and get back to my blonde? She's like, dad, there would be no hair left. So, um, so, an L, so he's talking about the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church. Uh, that, is, that word that is used in 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse 4, for uh, those who are in charge, the leaders, is also the same Greek word um, that he uses here in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. That's how we know he's talking about elders. Um, there's another way you can understand what he's talking about here. Uh, he's not talking about various leaders in the church, but the spiritual leaders of the church. You can't see this in the Greek text, English text, but you can see it in the Greek text. Uh, in the Greek text, there is an article, and an article is, is the word the, like the, T-H-E. Uh, that particular article appears before the word um, 
those who labor diligently. The, they don't, uh, the New American Standard does not have an article before the, the word uh, diligently. It has the word who. But in the Greek text, uh, this participle has the word the there. Uh, but the other words here, they're also participles. Uh, those who have charge over you, those who give you instruction, those are all participles. They don't have an article. And I know this is diving deep, but it's important. You still with me? I know it's early. You came here, it's your first Sunday. The dude's talking grammar. What's up with this? Uh, well, this is inspired. God, the Holy Spirit, inspired these words. So why did he put an article on the first participle, but not on the other two participles? Why? He grammatically wants to tell you they all three go together. Understand? So, thank you, Dwayne. <laughs> Praise God for you. <laughs> Anybody else with Dwayne? So, you got an article on the first participle, followed by two participles with no article. They're all tied together like a big bow. What's that mean? He's talking about elders because the word he uses for I charge, the people in charge over you is the word for elders. Uh, and uh, those participles are all tied together. It's telling you why they should be uh, um, uh, thought highly about within the church. So he's going to tell you exactly what you should be doing. Now, the, no church should be a lone wolf. One leader, and that's it. Now, I was a pastor of a small church before I came here. I started with 19 people in California, a little tiny church, meeting in a school, stayed there 20 years, built the church, grew the church. But the, one of the very, I mean, I was glad we had elders on the, on the board, even when the church was small. But as it grew, we flourished and added new people to the, the board. Uh, it's not easy to serve as the, the only guy. Because when I went to that church and had 19 people and we met in an elementary school, they had a, like a vintage 1850 upright piano. And since they didn't have a church pianist, and I took 10 years of piano, I preached and played. That was most interesting. I couldn't wait till we got some musical people. But while I was playing during the worship services, the, the damper pedal rod, it was a dowel rod, would come off. It would pop off during, you know, just as I am or something. Bink! And then you were playing staccato. And it's like, oh. So we'd have to stop the service, pull the front of the piano off, put the dowel back on. Man, I'm so glad for this church. <laughs> so when you start out small, small stuff. Uh, I played sports. It's great when you have a team. Uh, so we have a lot of people on our team here. I, I added more people to our team uh, when I was in California. So what is the value of teamwork? So there's a man, his name is C. Gene Wilkes. Uh, he wrote a book called Jesus on Leadership. It's a great book. Uh, here's what he says about teams, uh, serving as a team, because Paul built teams. That's what he did. He, he built one in Thessalonica. Here's the value of a team. Uh, he says, teams involve more people, thus affording more resources, ideas, and energy than would, would it, you, you would have with an individual. That's the truth. Uh, number two, teams maximize a leader's potential and minimize his or her weaknesses. Uh, strengths and weaknesses are more exposed in individuals. That's the truth. Three, teams provide multiple perspectives on how to meet or reach a goal, thus devising several alternatives for each situation. Boy, is that not the truth. You put a bunch of military-educated people on a board at our church, and you get a variety of analysis to infinity and beyond. Uh, and that's good because you're given all this. I never, never thought about that, never heard of that, et cetera. Uh, what's a bogey? Do you know what a bogey, bogey is? Do you know what a delta is? Yeah, these are all terms that I, I was like, what are you guys talking about? So they can help educate you. Uh, value of teams. Teams share the credit for victories and blames for the losses. Well, that's the truth. Um, that, he says, fosters genuine humility and authentic community. Sure does. Uh, he says, uh, teams keep leaders accountable for the goal. Absolutely. He says, individuals connected to no one can change the goal without accountability. And then lastly, he says, uh, teams can simply do more than an individual. 
Uh, and as I look at these as a pastor, I would you know, probably uh, fine-tune them to say, uh, when you have a team of uh, leaders like elders in a church, uh, there's more spiritual strength when you're fighting the devil. Because it's very lonely sometimes when you're the single pastor. I've been there, the single elder. But when you've got other uh, godly men around you, there's, there's strength in that as, you, as, you, as you're dealing with the devil. So there's also uh, great strength when you handle complex problems that are external and internal. Because you're not alone. You've you got a team. You've got a unit. So what Paul does here is he tells these uh, believers in Thessalonica, you need to kind of fine-tune your church from what I hear from Timothy. You need to strengthen how you respond to your elders. So exactly what does he say here? So we want to get into actually what he said, the actual sermon. You ready? Thanks. <laughs> that was one? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, first, Paul challenges uh, the people to uh, what I would say is to, 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 to know and appreciate their leaders. So the word that he uses here when he says... Uh, uh, but we request of you, uh, brethren, that you appreciate those. That's what the, the New American Standard says, appreciate. Um, the NIV version, if you have the NIV, uh, it translates that word uh, acknowledge. Now, now, what's interesting is the word to acknowledge or appreciate is the word in Greek, oida. Oida means to know something. So if you are dating somebody right now, you're trying to get to know them. Soulmate or not, life mate or not. If you are married... You already found him, right? Amen. Okay, yeah. Uh, and you're, you're still trying to get to know him. I shared a, I, I like to tell stories. I shared a story last night uh, at, or yesterday at lunch, and my wife looked at me, and she, two weeks ago we were married for 43 years. And she looks at me, and she's like, I've never heard that story. Because after 43 years, it's like, I heard that one before. You know how that goes? Yeah. So the word know is to, you get to know them. So what is he saying here? He, he says, we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who, the elders who, then he tells you what, what they're doing. Well, he's telling you you should appreciate them. But, but the word is oida. It means to know them. So what does that mean? You need to know your leaders. Now, you have to stop and think about that. That's difficult in a church that size, isn't it? I mean, I can only go to lunch so many times in a given week. And then, then I don't fit into my suit. You know, but what he's telling you is the more that you know your leaders, the stronger the bond is. Because once you understand how they think, why they do what they do, so maybe some of the complexities of the decisions that they've had to make, uh, you start loving them more and understanding them more and giving them more slack because you know them. The less you know them, well, the devil can get into that, that and create all kinds of havoc. And so half the, half the goal is just getting to know leaders. So we have an elder council here at the church based on 1 Timothy 3, as you're supposed to. And so I would just submit to you, as best you can, get to know those individuals that are on that board. Get to know them. What would you need to do to get to know them? Talk to them. <laughs> There's an elder over there. Don't get too close. He's too holy. It's scary. No. Get to know them. Walk over to them. Talk. Get to know their name. Let them know your name. You might have to tell them a couple of times what your name is because there's a bunch of people here. Um, one lady told me one time, I met her one time, and then I didn't see her again for like a couple of weeks. There's a lot of people here. She came up to me. She said, hi, pastor. Do you know who I am? <laughs> she goes, what are you talking about? You don't know who I am. I don't know who you are. <laughs> you, so you might have to, you know, if they're older elders, you might have to tell them a couple times. Um, so send them an email. And I'm talking like a nice email. Uh, you know, it, uh, take them out to dinner. Go to lunch with them. I mean, I had somebody stop me when I came in today. Hey, we got to do lunch. Yeah, absolutely. You know, email me. Email me. Um, so, so get to know them. How well do you know your leaders? 
The better you know them, the better things are. So that's what he says. Get, get to know them. Uh, now, there's a secondary meaning for the word oida, the word to know. Uh, the secondary meaning, according to uh, Freiburg's analytical Greek lexicon, uh, is, I'll, I'll just quote to you what he says, uh, giving deserved recognition to somebody or giving them respect and re appreciating them. That's what he said. That's what the Greek word means, oida. It can have that connotation. So now you think about it. The Thessalonian church is like a brand new church. And so Paul took all these pagans, told them the gospel of Christ, how the Lord Jesus died and rose again for their sins, and he wants to save them, and they got saved. And then they had to pick leadership. That must have been an interesting day when they picked leadership. Why'd you pick him? I've known him for years. The guy's a loser. <laughs> you know how you think like this, right? You just don't tell anybody. But, but they pick somebody like that. And then Paul's like, no, 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 no. This, this person is saved, loves Jesus, is a new man in Jesus. And I see some leadership qualities in him that match the criteria in 1 Timothy 3. He'll be perfect. Does that mean that he's perfect as an individual? No, no. But Paul's like, he's good for the job. And so they had issues in the church, like, with who was picked. And so Paul's like, no, no, you need to know them. And then you need to appreciate them. And so... Again, I command you, get out there and get to know your leaders. Get to know them. It builds strength in the body. So why should you respect a spiritual leader? Now, <laughs> I had a guy, I think, I've heard, I think I've heard everything at this point in my pastoral career. When I started out as a pastor in that little church, uh, you know, we were renting office space, and I, was in, I went downstairs from my office upstairs, interior staircase, downstairs to talk to the secretary, and a new guy came in who came to, came to church a couple times, and he came in and I saw him in the office, and he, when you only have 20 people, you know who's new. You know, here, I don't know. How long have you been here? Five years. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, then I knew, oh, he's new. So I went, I was like, hey, what's going on? And uh, so he was talking to me, and this is what he told me. <laughs> he said, I just want to let you know how I roll is you got to earn my respect. Really? So, so if you were me, and this guy just told this to you, what would you think you would, what would you tell him? You're so quiet. So I looked at him and I said, I don't have to earn your respect. I said, God gave me the role as a shepherd of a church. By definition, that's a job of respect because I'm an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. And unless I live a doctrinally compromised life, a morally compromised life, uh, Lord Jesus is behind me and I'm his representative. That guy left the church. <laughs> Shocking. But it took him seven years to do it. That's a whole other story. But, <laughs> oh my Lord. Yeah. But he, he, he taught me a lot about leadership uh, and the negative side of things, uh, how to lead. But so when, when he says you need to respect those who are over you, I've been there. Uh, and I've been a parishioner before having to respect leadership. So why else should you respect them? So he says, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Diligently labor. Um, this is one word in Greek. Kopiao uh, is the word. Uh, and there's another word for work in Greek. This is the back-breaking word for work. This is like, like my, my dad, when he was a kid in South Carolina, uh, his first job was picking cotton in South Carolina out in the, out in the heat. And I was like, what was that like? It was like a five cents a day you made, you know? And he said, I come home, my hands are all bloody because uh, it's cutting you up and everything. And I mean, that, that's like, like back-breaking work. That's copiao. He says, appreciate those leaders, your, your elders, who diligently labor. I mean, they do hard work. And it's a present tense participle. It means this is how they roll. This is what they do. 
I can test to the, to the fact that you have elders, and I've been here for 15 years now. The board has changed many times over. Uh, these are leaders who work diligently. They understand copiao. Because if you tell a guy when he comes on the elder council, hey, we just meet two times a month. They're going, hey, cool. Uh, no, well, it's not really two times a month. Sometimes it's more times a month. Why? Well, because there's so many complex things you have to deal with as, uh, as an elder council. And sometimes it takes uh, Zoom meetings. Sometimes there's special meetings. Uh, and if you think our meetings are like an hour long, think again. We live with each other. <laughs> but so when we have a, a meeting, you know, uh, two times a week, or two times a, yeah, two times a week, two, two times a month, we're, we're talking four-hour meeting, like a minimum. You know, four-hour meeting. My wife's always like, what are you guys talking about? Wow, it's a big church. There's a lot of things to talk about. Uh, and, and then when we have side meetings about other things that are important, uh, and, and by the way, we do these things because we're called to do them, but we do them because we love you. And so we want to make sure that we provide quality ministry. It's true. We want to provide quality ministry. And so these men meet. You, cannot, you do not understand how many hours they pour into what they do. So when I hear from church people, you guys really didn't think long about that decision. Oh, my goodness. I'm thinking you have no idea of the amount of prayer that went into this, the amount of the discussions that went into this, the amount of analysis that went into this, uh, understanding what the scripture says about this, et cetera, et cetera. You have no idea. But we'll be gracious to you and, and just wait for you to get with the program. Because you, you have men here uh, who give their time and they work. They have other jobs, but they give a ton of their time because they love you uh, and they want to care for you. And so they, they desire in all of their decisions, because I've been with them in tough situations for 15 years. They desire to honor God. They, des they desire to be wise in their decisions. Um, they want to be fair and just, as Jesus would. They want to guide the church to greater faith. Uh, and uh, they never make decisions in a flippant manner. Never. Never. God help the church where the leadership goes off half-cocked and just makes decisions without investigating the facts. Whatever we is that we face as an elder council, we spend a lot of time and attention investigating the facts. And then we make a decision. And then and the other thing I could tell you is they are willing to stand by their decision. That can be an ominous thing to stand by your decision. But I know from these men, because I represent them as an elder, um, to a man, we could, you've, you asked us, None of us are afraid to stand before Jesus on judgment day and have him test our work as an elder. Because uh, they've told me, based on our decision, I do not fear standing before Christ. Why? Because we prayed over it, we analyzed it, we looked at the scripture, etc. We got the facts, we got the data, then we made a decision, and we stand united with our decision. That is a godly group of people. I'm, I'm glad to serve with them. And God has blessed us because of that. Now, that doesn't mean that we always uh, uh, make decisions that you think that, that you would agree with, but we know more than you do about situations. And so just understand that we do. And we can only be, a, we can, we're transparent, but we can only do it to a point. And so there's lots of things we have to balance, but at the bottom line, we want to honor God, honor the word of God, hold the devil at bay, and grow the church, mature, mature the church. That's the goal. So Paul says... Uh, Show appreciation for those who diligently labor and have charge over you in the Lord. And then he throws in, these, these people also give you instruction. Well, what does that mean? Uh, that means to admonish. It's the, the word instruction is not a good translation in the NAS. That's a little misleading. The word is to admonish. What does it mean to admonish? The word admonish means that you offer counsel 
towards someone who's doing something they shouldn't do. They're doing something sinful. And you're admonishing them and telling them in love, you need to move away from that. You need to move away. If you're living with your boyfriend and you're a Christian, you need to move away from that. I mean, if you're doing something sinful and evil, an elder loves you enough to come alongside you and tell you, I love you enough to tell you the hard thing. That is sin. Move away from that and grow in holiness. He says, thank God for those, those leaders who are giving you instruction. It's a present tense participle. This is how they functioned in Thessalonica. That's how they function here. Now, God help the board if someone ever gets on it. Hey, my spiritual gift is admonishment. I live to admonish people. Isn't it uncomfortable to like confront people? Don't you agree? Michael's going, yeah, yes, it is. But it's most necessary, isn't it? To bring health and wholeness to the body. And so you have leaders here who are not afraid to admonish, but they'll do it in love and they'll do it in a timely manner. Uh, And I thank God that I'm able to serve with men like that because it builds unity into the body. Um, Romans 15, Paul says, Concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness in Rome, filled with all knowledge, and also able to admonish one another. So that, that doesn't get you off the hook. Uh, that's just telling you, you as a leader, uh, as, a, as a parishioner, are also responsible to admonish other Christians. So is the church a judgment-free zone? Yeah, I come here because there's no judgment. Have you read the New Testament? Because we are called to test the spirits. We are called to admonish each other. I mean, there's a lot of things we have to do. Uh, and it's a huge job. That's a responsibility of a parishioner. That's a responsibility of an elder. So the elder's not the only one who admonishes. So would you ever admonish an elder? Yeah. Yeah. Why? They, they might sin. I mean, if I got up here on a Sunday morning and told you, I finally, after many years of investigation, I think I need to deny the Trinity. Not that I am, just... If I did, so you're already, you're already just, <gasps> no, no, I, I believe in the Trinity. But if I did, I'm sure I'd be stopped before I got off the stage by a whole bunch of you. It'd be like a mob, right? Like, well, like, what's up with the mosh pit at the front? They're admonishing the pastor, right? So if I got into a doctor compromise, or if you found out I had like four or five girlfriends off to the side, I know what my wife would say. <laughs> what would you say? Hey, it's cool. Truth is relative, man. No, you, You'd be calling me, emailing, you're dropping by my house. I mean, so what in the world are you doing? Don't worry, I'm not doing any of those things. So I'm just saying, the board is not above admonishment, uh, but be very careful when you do that, that you have facts, all right? So I'm thankful to be part of a great leadership team. We have an awesome leadership team here who do an awesome job with the time given to them. And they invest that time into the church, not because it's just a great job. No, they do it because they love you and they love Christ. Paul also says, uh, in verse 13, he says, uh, uh, let me add some more things to your plate. He says, and that you esteem them very highly, your spiritual leaders, in love because of their work. He's now talked about their work twice. He says, esteem them highly. Uh, This is interesting. Uh, When you read this in the Greek text, the word for esteem uh, is is one word. Agaomai is the word. And it means to think long and hard about something. So he says, when it comes to your leaders, you should be thinking long and hard about their life. But in what way? Uh, He says, well, you should be doing it in a way uh, that uh, uh, esteems them in a very high format. Uh, What is interesting is the word he uses here for uh, very highly is uh, uh, perisos is the the word. But he takes a preposition, hooper, and sticks it onto the the word. And I've told you before, it's like in German when you staple words together because German does this. Anybody know German? 
They have really long words. They staple these holy, all these words together. The Greek does the same thing. Paul loves to do it. So he takes the word uh, for, uh, to uh, 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 esteem something highly, and he puts the preposition in front of it to mean think very hard about uber, oh, well, it's German, uh, highly esteeming your spiritual leaders. Think really hard about doing it. Because I can tell you as a pastor, I think I've pastored for about 37 years now, some Christians do not think highly and positively about leadership. That's not how they think. Uh, I'll tell you how they think because I've run into them. Uh, they think that leaders are guilty till proven innocent. Uh, they think that leaders are more worried about what man thinks than what God thinks. That is not true. I always worry about what God thinks. I don't fear men. I fear God Almighty because I have to give account to him one day. Uh, they think that leaders are not doing their God-given jobs. Well, you don't, do you see what they do? Uh, they think that leaders are timid and afraid to lead. Not here, because I'm one of them, and I watch what we do. And so Paul says, when you're thinking about your leaders, think long and hard about the facts of what you know about them and esteem them highly. Why? He says, because of their work. And by the way, he says, do it with the spirit of love, that you love them. Which means if you love them, you don't send them an email with pointed, slanted language in it that's not nice. Because trust me, I've got these before, and I'm not the only leader. You get them, and you're like, whoa, what's up with that? What's up with the language? What's with the tone? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, you do? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. He says, do it in love. Spirit of love speaks with loving words. Um, he says, do this because think hard about them to esteem them. Why? Because they stand between you and spiritual wolves. That's what they do. Uh, they teach you the word of God. That's why you should esteem them. They teach you how the word of God applies to your life and doesn't change as the culture changes. It's the word of God. It's timeless. They teach it to you. They care for the sick and the needy. They, serve, they seek to settle disputes between two warring believers. They're, they are the proverbial watchmen on the wall looking for what the devil's doing next. They are vocal about cultural issues to teach you as a Christian how to think about them so you can impact people for Christ. Uh, the leaders go after lost sheep because they love them. They do all of these things, so he says, esteem them highly. Esteem them highly. Think great thoughts about them. Do you? Do you esteem or do you efface? Because some Christians think it's the spiritual gift to efface. No, the spiritual gift is to esteem. That's, you're supposed to be focusing on esteeming the leaders. So, last thing he throws in, he switches from suggestions, talking nicely to the church, and exhorting them to an outright command. What's the outright command? Live in peace with one another. Live in peace. It's a present tense command. It's an imperative in, in the Greek text. Why did he all of a sudden switch from words of exhortation to a flat-out command? Because he knows how important it is for there to be peace. Because if you're that devil, what do you want to sow? Do you know? Distress chaos, mayhem, broken relationships, etc. He says, you have an obligation as a parishioner to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing at church sows peace among the church. Because if the church is at war with itself internally, it destroys the body life of the church. We have a great church here. We have a lot of peace here. We work hard at maintaining peace. It's not simple. Uh, do you live as a peacemaker? Because that's what he tells you to do here. I know of a church uh, in our country, and there's many like this church, where the pastor's been there for 20-something years. They know their pastor well. 
He's like the founding pastor. He's been there forever. And they hired somebody onto the large staff uh, to minister in, in, you know, as a team member. Uh, and it's a young person. And so the pastor is a decision maker. He's a go-getter. And so he told this young person, you know, some things like, you need to function this way, not that way, blah, blah, blah. So the, that staff person said, he is so mean. He's mean. And he got another staff person to think that the pastor was mean. So the church caved and formulated a committee to investigate the pastor. Is he mean? And then they told the pastor, you can't come to church anymore and run the office because, well, we're dealing with this issue that you're mean. He's like, huh? <laughs> really? And so now they're working behind the scenes to build a little group to get rid of their pastor on their staff. They should know the guy by now. The man's not mean. He's just a leader who leads in a, in a forthright fashion, but they've seen him in action for 20-something years. He just has somebody on their staff who doesn't want him to be the pastor. How do you think things are going at that church? It's a mess. There's no peace. There's broken relationships. People are at war among themselves. And the devil's laughing all the way to the bank. I think somebody probably needs to send that church uh, this sermon. That you need to live at peace and strive for peace because that is not peaceful. That's the warring spirit. So when you think about these commands uh, that are applicable to the church, you got to ask yourself, in light of the Lord's return, am I doing these? James chapter 5 verse 9 says that the, and this was written 2,000 years ago, he says the Lord is at the door. He's at the door. I would say if the Lord Jesus is at the door 2,000 years ago, well, he's really at the door right now. It means at any moment the door opens and he comes back, and we see him face to face, are you ready to give account for how well you served in the body toward leadership? And I have to look at this from my side too. How well do I serve? I think about it all the time. So do our leaders. But how well do you serve? Well, stand. God, thank you. Uh, it's not always uh, a comfortable thing to hear what the Spirit says in the inspired word, but we know it's right and it's true uh, because this is what we need to be doing. And we pray you would continue to bless our church, uh, bless our leaders and the decisions that they have to make, give them wisdom and understanding, give them compassion and love to do the right things and to represent you well. Pray our, our body would continue to be strong and true and full of peace uh, and become an even greater light to our community. Thank you for your blessings upon us. And we pray for that church in question that I mentioned at the end, that you would bless them with peace to help them sort through their issues uh, and, and to function as they should function to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.